Hi. When this comes out, we just did our first weekend of the tour. We did? Yeah, this comes out September 10th. Oh my gosh, guys. It was incredible. Oh my gosh. You just <laughs> oh sounded like Janice. <laughs> Chandler. I can't even do it. Chandler. Yeah, no. Nope. Chandler. You know, sometimes you got to try and fail. That's okay. Uh, this is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. Uh, we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hello. With the beautiful blowout, I'm Sabrina. With the beautiful dress and the beautiful kitchen. Let's see. We we got. Can, can you see Leia? Kinda. No. She's behind the microphone. She's around. We see her plenty. She's right here. You can kind of see her. We usually see her behind as she walks by, but this time she won't be able to. No balloon knots today. Mm mm. Mm mm. I went to Sleepy Hollow in New York. Okay. And I have a mixed review. Oh. I feel like I had assumed Sleepy Hollow was a destination to go any time of year, kind of like Salem. Mm -hmm. I don't think it is. I think that they must do a lot to make it very like Halloween centric, Halloween oriented around September and October. I, I would guess I went in July and the cemetery in incredibly beautiful. I went to a few of the historic homes, but mostly from afar because when you show up to them in order to get close to them or get on the property, you have to pay. And sometimes you have to pay, which I did pay for one of them. That was like $10. But the other ones were like, oh, well, you can't go and just walk around the property yourself. You have to go on this three hour long tour guided in order to be able to like get close to the house and see the house. So I was like, okay, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's a long commitment. Yeah, the shortest one was 90 minutes. And I was like, oh, it, no. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know. I have mixed reviews. I think I built Sleepy Hollow up in my mind to be this big thing because every video and photo I've seen of it, I think is during Halloween time. Yeah, I mean, okay, Sleepy Hollow has a legend and I feel like we haven't even covered it. I think every, no, a lot of people have this idea horseman. of it. Yeah. But the town itself, I don't think has the same reputation that Salem does. Right. Because the difference is Sleepy Hollow, the author of the book wrote the book there and like had inspiration from this land. There's not. Did you see that? Yeah. Is there like a locust in your house? What is happening? Oh, what was that? It was like a giant bug or something, right? Was it in front of me or behind me? I don't even know. I think it was in front of you. I feel like I saw it go Ooh, across your face. Boy. <laughs> oh, boy. How vibe. Hopefully there's no cockroaches no. or something. Actually, there's been no cockroaches. The one thing I am concerned about is that I'm going to need to get mothballs because there are no screens on any of these windows. And so I have seen moths and I am not down for that. Get some mothballs. But mothballs have such a smell, like my grandmother. But all of your clothes will be eaten through. Or how about this? Can you get like a little, can you make like a little screen that you can just put up into the windows? Yeah, I need to get one. I'm going to go Home Depot. Yeah, just get one and prop it up. And so there's less critters coming in. Can I tell you something? Speaking of Home yeah. Depot, there are like a few things about myself that I love. Well, they're okay. Sorry. Clarification. I love a lot of things about myself. I feel like I'm giving a presentation. I haven't. I know I, you're holding your hand. I haven't recorded standing up before, so it's I'm getting used to it. Okay. There's a lot of things I love about myself. A couple of things that I love is I am very unexpectedly very strong. I don't look strong. I'm. I don't. Lo I look like a girly girl. People when I say I played sports like all growing up, they're like. Psh we don't take you seriously. And I'm like, well, no, like I was really good. Mm, secret strength. It's yeah. Those orange theory classes. It's all of them. I mean, I go to a gym and I do strength training. Anyway, I also in college built sets. So I know very, like I'm very much well-equipped to work my way around a tool. I like, I know how to use a power drill. I know how to use a wood, like a table saw, all of those things. So I love, I have now embraced it rather than being offended by the fact that people are surprised when I say I can do these things. Um, I now embrace it. 
I love to show up at places like Home Depot in a cute little girly dress like this. I look great. And I show up and I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I don't I don't need your help. <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. I don't think we'll ever not be profiled at Home Depot. I think that's just a thing that all women will experience. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but I, I pride myself on being like, I don't need your help. Thanks. You don't need you don't need to ask. Well, I yeah. definitely need to ask where things are. I'm like, <laughs> God, there's so many aisles. <laughs> I know what I need, but I need you to tell me where to find it so that I can get in and out of here quicker or more quickly to the plant section. But that's fair to ask for help. But I think like when people come up to you condescendingly, like, "Mm, are you lost, little girl? I want to punch you in the fucking face. Oh, my gosh. Wait, my mom gets asked everywhere she goes. She gets asked if she needs help, not in a condescending way sometimes, but but also in just she realizes that instead of having resting bitch face like some people have, like me, she has resting confused face, resting lost face. And so people ask her if she needs help all the time. And she often says yes, because she wants to help give them a little something to do, have some purpose. That's nice. Yeah. That's lovely. And she's like, and then I get helped out and I don't have to reach for that thing or do whatever I was doing. <laughs> they do. It's a very nice perspective. <laughs> but the, the final thing I will say is the other day I was getting a massage and the masseuse was like, how, like, what do you like pressurize? And I was like, medium to like firm, whatever. She's going deep in my back. And she whispers to me mid, like mid massage. She goes, you're a bodybuilder. Wow. Strong muscles. Whoa. (laughs) I was like, thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. She's really digging it. So your muscles were like resisting her then. She could feel my muscles. Jeez. I'm strong. Yeah, you are. I mean, I, I gave this speech, I feel like a couple months ago when I was observing everyone at my bar class. And I was like, there's no way to ever predict how strong anyone is based on what they physically look like, because you will be shocked. Like the strongest people in my, my class are 150 pounds overweight or kind of under pretty underweight. <laughs> like, you never know. You never know. You never know. We're all very strong people. The fact that we are living life makes you strong already. Yeah. I just feel like, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know if I suddenly just took some sort of substance in my sleep while sleepwalking and it made me a very positive person. But I feel like I don't have nearly as much anxiety over this past week. And I just am like dazzled and amazed by everything that's happening around me. And I'm just like, wow, the earth is beautiful. That's the best feeling. Isn't it? Okay. We've talked about this before. And it's so funny to me because there's like a statistic about women and how based on their cycles, they get endorphins and serotonin. What is it? Oh, testosterone. Like during ovulation, I think it is. Or there's a certain part of the cycle where women are like have higher doses. We're more emotional when we have more testosterone. But we're also more productive. And it's so interesting. Like, so the thing that I saw that statistic is like the amount of work that a woman can put into and get done in that week of higher testosterone levels and productivity is like the same amount that a man can do in a month. And I just think it's so wild that we are so influenced by our hormones and our body levels. And you and I often operate on opposite, like our cycles are usually synced up, but I think we ovulate at different times. And so there'll be one week where you're so productive and you do like a million things. And I'm like, I I need to sleep today. Can we record yours tomorrow? And then it switches. It's so perfect that our, we never, we never overlap with those weeks. Yeah. One person's not blinking for a week straight while the other one can barely get themselves out of bed. Yeah. And it yeah. always works out. We never are the same. We're a great team. Yeah, we are. I'm so excited that I get to spend two months with you in person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be I so know, annoying. I'm so excited too. I like, I kind of forget that we're even doing shows. <laughs> Sometimes I know. I'm like, we're going from this city to that city and we're exploring and we're together and we're wandering around and it's going to be so fun. But the show is obviously going to be great fun too, but I forget that we're doing it to do a show and not because it's just a great friendship trip. We're flying together. I'm going to prepare some bedtime stories for you at night and <laughs> and then I'm going to lay it staring at the ceiling and then I'm going to occasionally be like, are you still awake? Great. Yeah. I'm going to put a hard stop to your bedtime stories because after we were in Austin and I was almost asleep and you were like what if something just appears at the end of our bed? I was like, ah, no, you need to keep your thoughts 
After 9 p.m., Sabrina, you must keep your thoughts in here. <laughs> I can't make any I'm promises. scared. Me too. You have an imaginative, imaginative, Jesus. I have a crazy imagination. Yeah, you do. So do you. I know, but I, I try to turn that off at night. Okay. Mine's the most active at night. It's darkest in the morning. You know what I was thinking? And obviously I can't do this while we're on tour, but I was like, you know what? Just for just for fun. Like, what if I just try being nocturnal for uh, a couple <laughs> weeks? Are you inspired? Because we just recorded the Bigfoot episodes and Bigfoot's nocturnal. And now you went from not believing in Bigfoot to believing in Bigfoot to now wanting to become, become like Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I am. So I've always liked and I feel very creative at night when people are sleeping and it's dark and like it's moody and I can light a candle and play some, you know, just quiet music. And I feel guilty sometimes during the daytime when I'm like sitting inside and not getting fresh air, like I feel like I should be outside. So I'm like, okay, hey, I'm terrified of the outdoors at night. So why don't I work then where I feel safer inside? Yeah. It's the beauty of basically being self-employed or working at companies that allow you the flexibility to work wherever and whenever, because you can work however it best suits you and your schedule. I always told people that when I was in HR, I was like, Unless you have to be in the office working with the rest of the group, it's about your deliverables. It's not about how or when or where you do them. Just got to get it done. I love that. Yeah. I was trying to, I was like really trying to get one of my coworkers to move to Costa Rica. I was like, do it, do it. <laughs> Leave here, escape. <laughs> uh, oh. Anyway. Hi. Anywho. Anywho. I'm sure our first few shows went off wonderfully. They were great. All of my stress nightmares have gone away. And now it's just nightmares about staying in haunted hotels. We were totally fine. Totally. I have a story for us. Okay. And it is a haunted hotel because I was a little bit inspired. I was like, well, I was inspired by a few things. One, I was inspired because we keep planning our tour and when we're recording this, it's before we've left for our tour. And so there's just a lot of hotels, a lot of travel, a lot of things that we're coordinating. And so obviously hotels are on my mind. And then simultaneously, I, a few weeks ago was out on the water and was remarking with the people that I was out on the water with that it's just so (laughs) wild. The people from the water in their boats were looking at the shore and were able to graph pretty damn accurately where everything was like the land masses cartographers oh you mean back in the day yes yeah yes. sorry i did not give any context to this uh, i was like now okay no okay C- cartographers of the past people who were sailing around the world they were venturing around they were drawing maps i don't understand how they did it because to me the math ain't mathin pretty much ever but <laughs> for them they are just like peep- peeping these coastlines and they with a compass and some equations in their head, they figured it out. And so anyway, these two things were kind of like floating in my head. And that's when I came across this story that I felt like encapsulated both things. And that is Hotel Captain Cook, which is very hard to not call Hotel Captain Hook. Corinne, when I saw it in your in the Excel, I was like, oh, that's cool. Hotel Captain Hook? Like, that's fun. Oh, that's because I wrote it in the Excel as Hotel Captain Hook because I kept writing it as Hotel Captain Hook. It's Hotel Captain Cook. Okay. That's on me. Cook. It's hard. Cook, cook, cook. Cook, cook, cook. Okay. So Captain Cook, he's a real person. He was a British explorer and he was a cartographer. His name was Captain James Cook. And he was also a naval officer. And his job was essentially to go sail around. He was mapping New Zealand, Australia, Newfoundland, and many other locations in a much more precise and detailed way than anyone had seen before. So he was quite famous. He was extremely good at his job. And so there was obviously a lot of support and funding and backing for him to explore. So at the time, explorers had a good grasp on measuring latitude via measuring the angle of the sun or a star above the horizon with specific instruments meant for navigational mapping. However, the longitude piece was still really, really tricky at the time because of Earth turning 360 degrees each day and kind of understanding how time zones and seasonal changes affect exactly where you are on Earth. So you couldn't just blankly rely on where a star in the sky was. So a lot of people struggled with this. But for Cook, he enlisted the help of astronomer Charles Green 
And he also used a lunar distance table or lunar distance tables published in the Nautical Almanac and then (laughs) measured the angular distance from the moon to the sun or to one of the eight stars in the night sky that he would he would look to to determine what time it was at the Royal Observatory in Greenwich. And then he would based off where he was at that time, his local time, he would then understand where he was. That's wild. Witchcraft. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, this is what is so cool about astrology. And I think for a long time, I had a hesitance towards believing in astrology and horoscopes and those types of things. But the more I've learned about them and the more I've learned about birth charts specifically and going deep into beyond just your sun sign, but like all of the other aspects that are part of it, it makes you realize like there is something to this. It has been used since the dawn of ages. Like it, it is, it's been used to chart like travel time. It's been used like, uh, I'm thinking Stonehenge, like stars are reliable. Yeah. And so whatever information we extrapolate from, from that, I mean, they can be used for astronomy, astrology, for cartography, for so many different things. It's so incredible. It's just so wild to me that anyone's ever figured out how to do it. (laughs) It does make you wonder, like, are we actually smarter than we were back then? Or are we the same amount of smartness, but it's just the accessibility to things? You know, that's a great question because I was immediately going to say, I bet we are the same amount of smartness, but just that now we have access to more tools and equations and understanding. And so we're able to start from uh, a jumping off point much sooner than other people did in their lives. But at the same time, I'm like, but we get access to so much more. So our brain is working more and learning more and developing more probably. Or are we becoming less smart because we're inundated with too much information that our brains don't have the capacity to retain them and we're trying to do too much? It's called a state of overwhelm, I think. Too much information, desperately need to delete TikTok. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so Captain James Cook, he's great at math and he made significant discoveries throughout his journeys across the world. And he even brought along other scientists like botanists to study alongside him as he journeyed to all these new lands and he would map them out and these other scientists would go and, and learn things about the new the new uh, species that they're encountering, all of the flora, the fauna, the animals. So he was utilizing his journey to help more than just him and his understanding of where we are on earth, but also brought in a lot of other scientists. So at the time, you know, he was, he was thought to be pretty cool. (laughs) Cool guy, cool guy cook. Cool guy cook, but cool guy cook did plenty of bad things, which I will tell you about. Okay. See, in this podcast, you can never love anyone too much because oftentimes (laughs) they're bad. So (laughs) that was kind of Cook's fate and, you know, a little bit sign of the times, but also do better. Okay. Well, now I'm curious what he did. Before I judge him, let's hear. He will be judged. So his journey, while it sounds great, they weren't always rainbows and butterflies. He had plenty of decent and respectful human interactions with the native groups that he came across, but there were certainly times that tension arose, and this is kind of where he gets to be a little bit of a bad guy. So he was a little bit less of a colonizer than the other colonizers were, but he certainly was still exercising his colonizer tendencies. And actually, James Cook died after trying to kidnap Hawaii's king for ransom. So basically what happened was Captain Cook, his people stole wood from a sacred burial ground. So then the Hawaiians stole one of their boats in retaliation. And then in retaliation from stealing a boat, he escalated to trying to kidnap and steal their king. And so things obviously escalated in in his attempted kidnapping and he was hit in the head and speared his life ending in that very moment as they were trying to protect and save their king from being dragged off by Cook and his men. Isn't it so weird how we just psychologically justify our own actions? Like, where's the conversation? There's so much in these reports, which of course, we know we can't fully trust these reports, right? Because they're written by Cook and his men and and the people who want to be want him and his journey and their money backing his journey to be remembered fondly in history. So we don't know all that truly happened, but 
in a lot of the recordings, it was basically saying that he was pretty good at getting along with all of the indigenous groups that he would encounter. Clearly not. But then this story, it's like, okay, well, you say that, but then we have this, we know how he died and why he died. And if we apply this scenario to the rest of his life, we know that all those other cases you're talking about, they they can't be true, right? Well, it sounds like they got along because he got what he wanted. Mm. They got along from his perspective, must have been. Well, in recent history, some of the statues erected in Captain Cook's honor have been vandalized or removed in efforts to decolonize his name. And there are a lot of towns and businesses and universities and islands that are still named after him. The Space Shuttle Endeavor and Space Shuttle Discovery were both named after two of his boats. And so there's a lot of naming that was inspired by his journey, inspired by him, even if it blatantly isn't named Captain Cook. I'm uh, looking at pictures of him. How come every man from this era, every white man from this era just looks the exact same? And what was it with the wigs? Like, what did that, why? Also, I feel like it must be something about the artist too, right? Like the the style of artwork. So what the heck? Why is there one of him doing like the Hitler? <gasps> there is? What are you looking at? I just looked up Captain Cook statue. Okay, well, I'm pretty sure based on where that is, I would assume he's doing that. I mean, I don't know why, but based on the time and history that he lived, I would assume that was more of like looking out on the seas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I know. It just... It just doesn't age well. No, it doesn't. Uh, A lot of these guys and their stories don't. No. And I'm not trying to spend too much time on him, but he certainly didn't make good choices. And he had plenty of violent outbursts and resulted in the murder and destruction of Native people and some of their land. And oh, oh, he also would flog and dismember his own men. So if they did something if he thought that they were responsible for like stealing something or doing something he would he would even murder them should we start enacting that in our own business if (laughs) i believe you've done anything i'm like come here corinne off with her head off with her finger (laughs) oh my god yeah so it's strange basically he was he was good at math he was good at charts and navigating but his accomplishes his accomplishments i feel don't excuse the terror and horror and murders he brought on to all these people yep 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 so it's not with a uh, great fervor that i i speak of captain cook but more so because he spent a lot of time mapping out a speckled and jagged coastline which happens to have some pretty cool ghost stories it is a coastline which no one had ever mapped before and a place that most people in the U.S. still have not had a chance to visit. This is Alaska. Ooh. You've been, right? I have. I did an Alaskan cruise when I was like 17, and it was magical. That's what I want to do, a cruise. It was so great. I feel like the cruise was the way to go for me. <laughs> yeah, because then you can see so much. You get to see so much. We would literally encounter like sea otters and orcas and sea whales and see all of these things from the boat. And then also the towns in Alaska are quite small. So I felt like I really got to see the majority of what I would want to see in each of those towns, having like 10, 12 hours to explore every day off of the boat. So I'm an Alaskan cruise. uh, I'm pro-Alaskan cruise. Okay. Okay. So back in the day, Cook and his crew, they went to Alaska, not only mapped out the coastline, but documented the people, the animals, the flora, the fauna that the majority of the world had never encountered before. And even so, I feel like when we see pictures of Alaska, it's so dazzling. Yeah. It's such a unique place. Yeah, it feels otherworldly almost. People say the same thing about Iceland. And so this is what Cook and his crew were experiencing. His time here seemed to also be very fondly remembered by others who felt inspired by his bravery and by his success, or at least the part that is told in history books. And so before we knew a lot of the things that he did, or I guess had the wherewithal to consider that the things that he did maybe don't warrant naming things after him, uh, people were like, ooh, cool, what a really interesting guy. And so this is all to say that James Cook's time in Alaska made enough of an impact that there are plenty of places named after him. One such place is Hotel Captain Cook, built right next to where Captain Cook had docked his boat. Hmm. In 1940, 
A 20-year-old Kansas man named Walter Hickel moved to Alaska, and like many of the American dream stories go, he only had a few cents to his name, 37 cents to be exact. This man would go on to find a ton of success in politics and writing and other entrepreneurial pursuits, including commercial real estate and development. In 1964, downtown Anchorage was practically leveled by a 9.2 magnitude earthquake. So it was totally destroyed. Everyone was like, well, there goes Anchorage. Like 9.2? There's nothing left. Yeah. Yeah. Really bad. I was looking at pictures of it. It's really sad. And this is now 24 years after Walter Hickel had first ventured or found himself in Alaska. uh, And he had much more than 37 cents to his name. So he actually had a crap ton of money. He, He was a rich guy. And so he vowed to help rebuild Anchorage by creating the greatest hotel Anchorage, Alaska had ever seen. Something so elegant, so comfortable, so enticing that people would travel from all over America, all over the world to go visit Anchorage and stay in this hotel. I feel like that was like the MO for hotel builders. It was... I want to make the best place that anyone's ever visited. Yeah. Which is, I feel like, a good way to to think about it if you're trying to create some giant, fancy, luxurious hotel. But it's interesting. Like, I wonder at what point did it pivot? Because hotels used to be about convenience, right? It used to be for people who are traveling from place to place and need a place to stay to help with commerce for the most part or, you know, relocation. But at what point did it turn into luxury and... Hmm. That's a good question. Because I mean, I I think it depends. It must have just been something to do with demand, but wanting various prestige over others that stay at these hotels. Because if you think about it, there are still a lot of hotel chains. And even if we think about like Hilton or Marriott, they have many different levels and tiers. And there are a lot of hotels that are still definitely more focused on that. Right. And then there was a transition recently where it's now like the boutique hotel where... They have their aesthetic and it's very, I love it. I love a boutique hotel. I love a place that has like charm and character because it makes the vacation feeling even more special. It's kind of ironic that that they're going into boutique hotels because it's essentially just working their way back to bed and breakfasts in a way. You're right. <laughs> so just stay at a local bed and breakfast. I do love a bed and breakfast. They're so quaint love. All right. So he had all these ideas for bringing all of the commerce and the visitors and everything back to Alaska or to Anchorage after it was leveled. And that was to build a giant hotel, which he would name Hotel Captain Cook. One year later, the first tower of the hotel opened. And by 1978, there were three towers. You can look at a picture of this place. It's Not very pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Not what I was expecting you to say. Okay, wait. Images. I think the inside has definitely got way more going on, but the outside... It's so boring. Might I use the word hideous? (laughs) Lame? Uninspired? That's definitely how it feels. Okay, well, this guy clearly, he had money, but he did not have creative... Money doesn't buy taste. No. (laughs) (laughs) Or, Or good taste. I guess everyone has... A taste, but in my eyes, good taste. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Not what I was expecting. I I also like how in the beginning of this episode, I'm like, I'm so positive. I love everything. And I'm like, what an ugly hotel. How disgusting. (laughs) Ew. Who is this guy? I hate everybody. (laughs) No. I'm sure he did really great things for Anchorage. It's just the exterior of the hotel doesn't feel as dazzling and grand and impressive as I think the inside might. And and the description of what he wanted to do. It also just looks so corporate or, you know, cookie cutter in terms of if you're talking about the Marriott's and the Hilton's and those types of chains where they just are like, you know what? We have a system and it works. We're just building a straight building up and nothing special. It's three tall mustard colored towers with these like little square windows. It's, It's nothing to glance at a second time, you know? But the inside, the inside is what, counts. That's what they say about humans too. (laughs) All of you and your your mustard color exterior doesn't matter because it's what's on the inside. So when guests arrive, so if you were to go there today, you may be dazzled by the historic decor inside, lured by the numerous illustrations of Captain Cook's voyages, 
or drawn into one of their four restaurants on site, one of which has 360 degree views of the landscape. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. That would be worth it. I would definitely try to get a reservation at that place. Get to see so much. Yeah. You may also find yourself lost in the retail shops, intrigued by the expansive private art collection, or enchanted by the stunning scenery. Guests may feel that they've been transported back in time when surrounded by the intricate woodwork, the stained glass, and the historical paintings and sculptures detailing Captain Cook's expeditions and the lives of the indigenous people. Intricate woodwork. I'm curious because from the outside, it does not look like there's intricate woodwork inside. It doesn't. It, it is surprising. There's some proper mill work in there, I will say. It does. It looks a lot better on the inside. Well, you know what? It makes me appreciate it more because that makes me realize that he was like, you know what? I'm not going to spend all the money on the exterior. I'm going to spend all the money on the interior mm. for people who are actually there. But, well, and also let's think about it. If you're in Alaska, when you're outside, what you're, what you should be looking at, what you want to look at is the mountains and the air and the trees and the ocean and the landscape. You're not focused on, on a building. Yeah, but I do feel like this takes away from the... Yeah, they should repaint it that go-away green that they use in Disney so that you don't really see it and you can just focus on everything else. Yeah. So this place doesn't just feel uniquely original to those who are spending a night amongst these historic walls. It also feels home to a few resident ghosts. Yay. It's newly built and yet there are newly-ish built and yet there are plenty of ghosts over the, the past 70 some years. In the women's restroom located in the lobby, the last stall on the left seems to be a hot spot for ghostly activity. We have a moaning myrtle situation on our hands. <gasps> the legend surrounding the spirit suggests, and this is sad, but that a young woman went into the bathroom to end her life there. And she was so consumed by anger and sadness and unfortunately was not able to let go of those feelings in her afterlife. And that is why she's still in the bathroom. People, guests, staff report feeling uneasy in the bathroom, specifically in the very last stall. And this feeling in the bathroom it is of being watched. It's the feeling of dread and the feeling of heightened unease. And it has caused so much anxiety in people that the hotel management actually dead bolted that stall shut. So you can still go into the bathroom and use the bathroom. You can stand up on the toilet and peek over and look down at that stall, but you can't use it. It's it's dead bolted shut. But yeah, it's locked. No one else can go in. If you're a patron, you're not you're not going in. Oh, spooky. However, the energy from that stall sometimes permeates past the stalls and fills the entire restroom. Sometimes the lights will flicker wildly on and off. The sink faucets will turn on and off. And if you're ever seated in one of the lesser haunted stalls attempting to relieve yourself, there's a chance that you may be very startled by the loud bangs of an adjoining stall door flying open and closed. So she will just like, you'll be in there silently, just having a little pee break. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the, uh, the other unlocked stall next to you is just boom, 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 boom. So scary. That is, but... It's not as scary as like a head popping out underneath. Or I don't know. I feel like the physicality, because at least it's like a big bathroom. If it was an individual stall, like a one person, one holer, that's different. But noise in a public bathroom is less scary because you you expect other people to be coming in and out. Okay. Well, this is a great segue because so while the banging stall might not be nearly as scary as it could be, here's something that's probably the most scary it could ever be. Okay. As you sit on the toilet, picture it. You're you're sitting on the toilet. You're relieving yourself. It. Yeah. And then a spirit's cold, dead hands reach out from under the stall, quickly pushing onto yours, grabbing your ankles. Yeah, no, that's terrifying. <laughs> that, that That is like worst case scenario. That is truly what I was picturing as like, at least it's not that. That's it. Yeah, she'll just... <laughs> grab your ankles right underneath. <gasps> I don't know what happens after. Ooh. I assume people scream ha! and run and, and that's the end of that. But I, I do wonder what would happen if someone stayed. Uh, could you imagine pants down? Pants down, just running through the lobby. If you ever see that, it's probably because this woman grabbed someone's ankles under the stall. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. I don't know what I would do if that happened to me. What would you do? I guess it depends on how far I am into my, my business. 
And if I'm alone in the bath, if I'm alone, I think I would freak the frick out. But if I'm, if other people are around, I think I'd be too embarrassed. I think I'd be like, <sighs> get out. Hello? <laughs> I'd be like, is someone's <laughs> child here? <laughs> Mom? Please, please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Please, please stop. Please don't embarrass me around strangers in the bathroom. Please, please. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I don't know how I'd react. I'd probably just be like Elvis and die right there. Yeah. That's the hard thing is it's always like asking how you would react. You want to believe you'd react in a certain way, but yeah, for the most part, I feel like we never would react the way we think we would. No, I definitely know that that's true because there was a time when I was out in, well, it was a few months ago. I was dog sitting Rolly at Nikita's house. And I was not familiar with the creaking of her floorboards at the time. And Rolly mostly was sleeping on the bed with me. But there was one time the first night that I was sleeping there that he was on the floor for a couple hours before moving into the bed. And he's such a tiny little dog. Yeah. But yet when he shifted his weight, it moved one of the floorboards. Like it had a floorboard squeak, but not right where he was. It was like the floorboard that extended out to outside of the bedroom door. Mm -hmm. And I... I would have thought that my reaction would have been to immediately like grab a weapon or do something or like dial 911 and be like waiting and prepared and move myself away from the door. But I was so frozen with fear that I just like barely breathed for probably a full 30 minutes. Yeah. Just silently listening. Because you also, I think there's part of you that's like, okay, you have to analyze the situation. What what do we have here? Mm-hmm. And you didn't know. No. It was scary. And this would be terrifying to me too. So <laughs> I don't know what I would do. <gasps> For, <laughs> we should reenact it. <laughs> All right. I'll be on the toilet. When we're together, you're in the bathroom. <laughs> I'll slip under. For hotel management, despite having closed the last stall door, they do sometimes have to enter the restroom and ask her if she could please calm herself and stop making such a commotion because she's really scaring the guests. So people still get quite frightened, which obviously you would if someone's banging a stall door and grabbing your ankles. But if you go alone into the bathroom, you actually might fare better than if you go in groups because apparently she does, she's pretty reactive to the noise and sounds of loud groups. So if you go in and you're you're loud and you're having too much fun, you will probably leave feeling a bit sick and faint and potentially have a ghost experience in there because this is a bathroom of sadness, okay? She doesn't want you to have fun. Bathroom of sadness. This is a bathroom of sadness. Ghost tours will go into the bathroom. They will literally bring people into the bathroom <laughs> to like take photos of the stall. And some people snap pics over the locked stall, hoping to get a glimpse of her spirit. Sometimes they catch a wispy, cloudy image, like head or hair or something. But I think that's kind of sad. I feel like we should leave her alone. It's even more sad. I feel like that's perpetuating the sadness. Yeah, it totally is. Oh, To further help her find some peace... The hotel's operation manager will regularly visit the hotel and speak to her very kindly. She will just kind of sit like against the sink and just tell the spirit what's going on, what's new with the hotel, with life, with her coworkers, the employees, just kind of keeping her up to date, having her feel seen and be filled in and be a part of the life that is happening there. A little bathroom picnic with the ghost. She does. Apparently she does. Yeah. Outside of the bathroom, though, there are many halls and floors in the three towers is the same woman who apparently leaves the bathroom and she will do sort of the same thing. She'll open and close the doors. She'll flicker the light switch. And she seemingly is just going about her life in the hotel. So she's not always sad. Maybe it's just one of those things where like she goes to the bathroom to cry. I do that. I was just thinking about how like the bathroom is my place. Like there, I don't know if like movies put this into like our minds or what, but there is something about sliding down the back of the door onto the cold tile and curling up with like your knees onto your chest and crying that is so cathartic that or on the floor of the shower. I was going to say, I've never done the, the bathroom door, but sitting on the floor of the shower, bawling my eyes out, that is like curled that up. has been experienced. That's my times. panic attack. Just let the rain go through. Let the rain fall down. Yeah. I think it's also like, it's our private space, right? Like if we're overwhelmed by everything, no one's going to hopefully walk in on you in the bathroom. So you get to just completely melt 
away. And maybe there's this in- intuition of water does take away, like cleanses you. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe that's helpful. The worst though, ugh, when I was like going through my shit, when you know, it's constant, ever flowing up and downs. But when I was really going through a hard time and I was in my treatment, there was one morning I was just, I had such a bad panic attack, but no tears came. And I was so frustrated because I was like, you know, sometimes you just want that release. Yes. That I got into the shower and I was like trying really hard. Like I was just like sitting on the ground and I was like, just like get out of me. And I couldn't. And I was really upset. That is the worst feeling. It's like, it's almost like when you have to sneeze and the sneeze won't come out. You're like, I know it's in here and it's going to be bottled up until it comes out again. So I just need it to come out. Just pour out of Ugh. me. Okay. So this woman who cries in the bathroom, she's still not totally happy when she's walking around the halls. She's seen in a white dress. And when people do spot her face, she appears to have the very stressed expression on her face. Resting stress face. Resting stress face. I also thought it was strange that according to what I could find online, there are no particular rooms that she's attributed to haunting. So she really, she's really just wandering the hallways, I guess. Exciting news, everyone. Proactive has just launched their newest skincare innovation called Proactive Clean. It's a gentle skincare routine formulated to clear mild acne to occasional breakouts for sensitive skin. It's Proactive. There's no, and in fact, in most of the, like there's no haunted rooms at all. There's no ghostly activity recorded and then published online anywhere about a particular hotel room, like room 502, like none of that. It's just all over the grounds. Should we call them real quick and just ask if they have any hauntings? I don't really want to, but if you do, you can. Why not? Why don't you want to? Because I am shy. Okay, I'll call them right now. I don't want you to tell me all the things that are in my research, though, that I'm about to tell you. Okay, I'll call them later. (laughs) Okay, you finish your research and then we'll call before I read my story. Okay, Okay. but I think it's odd because there's 546 guest rooms. So that's a lot of opportunity for spirits. And yet, apparently, they are not taking those opportunities. They respect the guests. Yes. What did I write? Hold on. Oh, I I honestly forgot that I'd written this. But this is kind of an interesting theory. I was like, this makes me wonder if the woman from the bathroom who is just wandering down the halls and flickering the lights and opening and closing the doors and appears to be stressed. What if this is because she's looking for a way out and this is her spirit's version of the back rooms? She's just wandering (gasps) around these unending halls in this tower, which I believe it's tower two, maybe that she haunts. And she's constantly desperately looking to move on. And then she breaks down sometimes and goes to the bathroom and just balls her eyes out because she's stuck. Well, now you're making me think that what if every hotel is a back room? Well, because so many people have those dreams of the back rooms and then we'll actually see pictures of what they saw online. Yeah. Spooky. It's very spooky. The idea of like a never ending hallway is just so unsettling. Yeah, I know. It's a claustrophobic and whatever the opposite of that is. It it's. It also makes me wonder too, like, it, do you think that this is a ghost? Do you think that this is her spirit? Or do you think that... I don't know. There's, this is so dark, but like, do you think there's a version of someone whose astral body is stuck in the astral plane, like in this hotel and her current body's here. And I don't know what that means she's experiencing if she's like in a coma or if she's experiencing depression or memory loss or something, but there's like a piece of her that's stuck here. That's a really interesting theory just generally about spirits. And I I don't, I mean, we're never going to know, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, I know. I mean, there was the massive earthquake Mm -hmm. and there are probably, I mean, Alaska is just has so much rich history and native tribes who've lived there. And so just there's so much that could be causing the land to be haunted. Yeah. And we'll just never know. And yeah, statistically, Alaska's a, a rougher place for women to live because of a lot of the harm that comes to women. It's not the safest spot. Okay, so staff have seen this woman's spirit sometimes very, very active for many months, but then it will be really quiet. And then bam, it'll be active again. So it's almost like night after night, she'll be looking and and trying to escape. 
And then she'll finally just give up and there will be just complete silence for many months. I hate, I hate thinking that she's trying to escape. That's so sad. I know. I know. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Outside of the three buildings, though, yet still on the hotel property is another spirit. And this is one of my favorite. It's very Adam's family. Okay. This spirit is not a full body apparition. It is a hand, a phantom hand that will reach out and try to hold hands with living people attempting to intertwine their fingers with yours. Has anyone seen the hand? I think so. Yes. Yeah. I think people have seen the hand. Is it male? Is it female? Is it childlike? What? I don't know. Is it hairy? Is it warm? Is it cold? I think we would know if it was. I think it's just like in indescript adult hand. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. It is. I mean, that's yeah. comforting, I guess, but it-, it would be confusing to to have something someone try to hold your hand. Like if that happened to you, you'd already be a little bit confused yeah. for a few moments, which to your point Sabrina of like what does it look like? You would think that people would have a little bit more of a description of the hand because if you don't immediately startle and go, "Oh, a ghost." If you're just like, "Who's holding my hand?" You would think that you you would have a few moments of witnessing it before it registers that right. it's a phantom hand and then freaking out. But then if it's just a feeling, you wouldn't know physically, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Certainly a feeling would be better than watching a detached human hand crawling into yours, right? Definitely. I would choke on my own scream if that happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's unexplained. It's creepy. It's exciting. And even if you don't encounter a spirit here, visiting Alaska will surely leave a lasting impression on you. So if you're planning a trip to Anchorage, Alaska, stop, shop, dine, or stay in Hotel Captain Cook. The end. I'm really curious. I'm going to call them later and find out if it's haunted. Yeah, please do. Report back. It's funny because it's like you have social anxiety, I think, when it comes to just being in a group setting for a longer period of time. And I have so much social anxiety when it comes to the phone Mm. or asking anyone for anything. (laughs) Like I cannot make a phone call barely to, (laughs) oh, I need to schedule a dentist appointment. Good luck for me because I'm going to think about it for a month before I have myself up to do it. It's so funny. I feel like my social anxiety comes more from people like I know. If it's someone I don't know, I'm pretty much fine because here's my social anxiety. If you're a friend of mine, and you know me, and I'm going through a hard time, you're going to see it. And I am not going to be able to put on a face. I am not going to be able to be like, I'm great. I Like, if you ask me, how are you? And I'm not okay, I will just break down. And that gives me anxiety. So in those moments, I retreat yeah. to my humble abode. Right. But with strangers, like, they don't expect anything of me. So oftentimes, they don't even see me. So we're good. Right. And you can lie to strangers. If they're like, how are you? You can say, good. <laughs> and they don't Swell. know the difference. Tandy. They'll be like, wow. You don't actually care. Well, she must just have resting sad face. <laughs> so <laughs> she must have resting melancholy face. I want to have resting evil face. Resting sneaky face. <laughs> you know who you're reminding me of right now? Is what? Gilly from SNL. Gilly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Man, we have to come up with a good Halloween costumes this year. I have an idea. I'm going to tell you after. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> ah! Okay, well, I have never been to Alaska. This hotel doesn't seem terribly haunted. I would love to go to the restaurants and check it out. Me too. That 360 degree restaurant. Sign me up. Yeah. Beautiful views. I'm curious if anyone's been there, if, if you've experienced anything. I personally could not find any stories from Hotel Captain cook. Yes. That makes but I sense. did find a story from Alaska. Okay. This is from our listener, Lindsay, and it is called Alaskan Job Hauntings, Bachelorette Scares, and Haunted Train Tracks. Ooh. Hello, ghostesses. My name is Lindsay or Linz for short. I'm technically from a small town in Southern Missouri, but I'm now living in one of the larger Missouri cities. I've never been particularly sensitive to spirits, but I do get feelings, intuition, and possible premonitions slash deja vu dreams every so often, mostly dealing with normal everyday things. But I have had a few encounters, and we'll start with the least scary in my opinion. To Alaska. To Alaska. To Alaska. Off we go. I would love to. 
Okay. Back in 2016, I had just graduated culinary school and finished my externship in Colorado, working at a sort of spooky old hotel when an opportunity came up to work in Alaska at a fishing lodge as a pastry chef. For a first job, I'll say that I survived. No thanks to the bears and flooding rivers. The only way to get there was a two and a half hour journey by boat or a 30 minute plane ride. So we were pretty much stuck no matter where we went. Also, there was no cell service or internet except for in one room of the lodge. Mm. This is wild. (laughs) I had to be up super early in the morning to light the ovens for breakfast and start the coffee for the chef and fishing guides. And as I was prepping to make muffins, I saw something move across the back windows near my workstation. It was a man that I could tell was wearing a jacket and a hat and was walking relatively quite relatively quickly. The owner who lived upstairs above the lodge wasn't even up yet and we didn't have any guests on the property. I looked out the windows and the man was gone. I didn't say anything at first, but the second time around, I looked through the back windows and I saw two kids, a boy and a girl running and playing in our back garden. There was only one kid on the property and she was upstairs in her own room. Safe to say I was a little on edge for the rest of the summer and heard a lot of footsteps in the early mornings when I was by myself. One of the fishing guides I worked with had an encounter too. He was in the back in the staff cabins where we lived and heard a door shut from one of the other guides' rooms. He thought it was a specific guide and saw a shadow pass his window, which had white curtains that he could still see light through. He quickly opened the door to his room, intending to spook whoever it was, but no one was in the hallway. <laughs> he, wait, he attempted to scare a ghost. He just didn't realize it. Didn't realize it. And then he ended up being the one who got scared. My other story happened last year at a bachelorette weekend party. The maid of honor had gotten an Airbnb for us six women. And while we had a great weekend drinking and partying and drinking wine in a Target parking lot... The nights when we all passed out were awful for me. I have questions, but... (laughs) Me too. Was the drinking in the Target parking lot part of the itinerary? (laughs) I feel like it very well could be. (laughs) Or were they so uncomfortable in the house that they were like, let's go drink in the parking lot? I don't know. Or it's like, okay, we have 15 minutes between this stop and this stop. So let's just go to Target and get some drinks. (laughs) Get some wine. Keep the party going target should have a bar that's a good idea wait what happened to that they were supposed to oh really years ago like three or four years ago there was all of this buzz about target serving wine and they were planning on serving wine if you're 21 and older and it was supposed to be this big thing and then i never saw anything else about it oh my gosh i have an idea what let's open a grocery store (laughs) i'm kidding well okay drunk grocery yes If you're a grocery store, what better way to make more money than have someone grocery shopping while drinking? They're going to be excited. And so it's, you know how like when you get your hair done and they give you like champagne or wine or whatever, Mm -hmm. when you enter into the grocery store, there's someone who says, may I give you a glass of red, white, sparkling? What would you like? Rosé. They pour you a glass of wine. You get one glass for your shopping experience. And you get to walk around the aisles with your glass of wine. I think that's a great idea. I think that this should be something that happens at Target, at a grocery store. However, I would want part of it to be like, if you're shopping with wine, you have to pre-decide a cap of how much you're willing to spend that day. (laughs) And you're not allowed to go over it. So if I'm like, okay, I'm going to Target. My maximum is $210. I can wander around. That's not helpful for Target. But I need to be monitored. (laughs) You can monitor yourself. It's helpful to Target, though, because then they won't have to deal with as many returns and processing that. Oh, if you buy when drinking, no returns are allowed. <laughs> send send your Venmo Sabrina now. <laughs> we want your money. We want your money. Okay. Lindsay says, the nights when we all passed out were awful for me. It was a two-story building, and we were situated in the top part with the three main rooms and a kitchen all in line with a staircase leading up from the door to the main hallway. I was lying in bed in the second room, which had an opening so you could see most of the top half of the staircase. I didn't think much of it. That first night, we were all asleep by midnight. I was in one bed and the other girl in the room was on a futon across the room facing me. Around 1 a.m., I woke up to the sound of someone climbing the stairs, the creaking of the wood and the thumping of heavy shoes coming up. I assumed at first one of the girls went to go smoke outside, But then I was like, why didn't they use the deck that was out back? 
I was half asleep at first too. So when it stopped, I just laid my head back down and tried to go back to sleep. But again, it happened minutes later. I didn't sit up, but I turned my head a little and looked through the open doorway into the dark hallway and at the top half of the staircase, waiting to see who would be walking up at one in the morning. No one appeared, but the sound kept happening over and over and over again, as if it was someone just repeating the same steps going up the stairs. It happened for three hours and I did not sleep for a second. My thoughts ran from, oh, the owners came back to, oh God, someone broke in. What do I do? But none of it (laughs) made sense because the door had been locked and deadbolted and you would know if that thing had been broken into. I kept looking at my phone every so often, checking the time, but I couldn't stop focusing on the door, waiting to see someone standing there looking back at me, watching me. So scary. I swore something was staring at me the entire time, but I never saw anyone. No one else woke up either, just me. I even tried to play music under my pillow, hoping it would stop me from noticing the noises, but it only seemed to get louder. Finally, it all stopped about 4 a.m., and I got a chance to doze off until about 6 when un- when one of the other girls finally got up. She hadn't heard anything all night, and her room was right next to mine. It happened again the next night, too. We had gotten home late and had the same sleeping areas, me in the bed, my friend on the futon across from me. I fell asleep to her talking to her boyfriend, and then I woke up at 3 a.m. to the sound of those fucking footsteps repeatedly going up the stairs. I was frustrated and tired. There had been drama and I just wanted to sleep. I covered my head with the duvet and laid there, closing my eyes as the creaks repeated themselves over and over again. I remember feeling watched and some other scary feelings, like on the first night. I must have finally dozed off again at one point because I woke up with my head under the pillow and my friend from the other room shaking me awake to get ready to get food. Aww. (laughs) I was the only one to hear anything those nights. Oh, that's what stinks. It's like, you know, something's happening. You know, this place is haunted, but no one else is awake. No one else is experiencing anything with you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was wide awake both nights when it woke me up and the fear was real. I have a few more small stories about haunted railroads in my hometown and at the two hotels and at the two haunted hotels that I've worked at. If you'd like to hear them. Uh, yes, please. I keep trying to get coworkers and friends to listen, but they either don't believe or get too spooked and can't listen anymore. <laughs> See you ghouls on the other side, Lindsay. Oh, Lindsay, thank you for the attempted introduction yeah. to yeah, bringing people into our pyramid scheme. It's Maybe okay if it doesn't work. Be tempted to come back. Yeah. Um, Lindsay also said, do you know anyone I can talk to about spiritual awakening? I've been waking up at 3 a.m. for months now and just found out it's a sign for it. I don't even know much about spiritual awakening. Now I'm curious. Me neither. I mean, we do know 3 a.m. around that time is the witching hour. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the spirits that were haunting poor Lindsay at this Airbnb yeah. were active at that time, like 1 to 4 a.m. I feel like our best advice would be to go to people who know more about this than we do. So my default is the Facebook, like Two Girls, One Coven. Or our Discord channel, because there are so many incredibly powerful and in tune and spiritual people there that have gone through a whole lot more than we have when it comes to the paranormal and spirituality. So I'll direct you there because someone might have an answer. We don't. We don't know. Or if you join us on Campfire Stories, too, because I feel like a lot of our community that's on Campfire Stories, when you start typing in the chat or if you share a story with everyone, people kind of contribute and, and add commentary and their suggestions. I'm curious about this lodge in Alaska. I know. And where, because Alaska is really hard to get around, which is why a cruise is the, you know, makes sense to do if you're visiting. But the fact there is no cell service, except for in one room. You have to turn on the, the ovens every morning too. Yeah. You light, the fi- you light the fire, the ignition in the bottom of the oven. Just imagine that you're like, one with nature, you're about to make your blueberry muffins, <laughs> and then you just see shit out of the corner of your eye. You're like, oh no, yeah, it's here. It does seem like they're just like either previous owners or previous tenants, like an old man, like a man and two kids and footsteps. Yeah. Like it was probably just someone's home. Some of this stuff is probably, well, I feel like this could be true for anywhere, but like sometimes it might just be the person themselves are a little haunted or yeah, there's plenty of experiences beyond just in that hotel or that cottage or whatever it was called. So 
Yep. What a cool, I mean, what a strange, but also cool first job to get out of I know. culinary school. Hey, it sounds awesome. We've got a job for you in Alaska. It is so wild to me how many, like you can't do life incorrectly. There's just so many avenues and experiences that you can have and you never know what is out there. Okay. I think I brought this up to you before and you aren't watching it yet, but The Bear, that show. Oh, I've and seen it's all se- about. I saw season one. Okay. Season two. There's an episode that follows cousin and kind of like shows him going to work at this sort of world-class institute, this amazing restaurant. And the whole thing was basically just like a message where it's like, it's never too late to start over. It's never too late to try something new. Like you can reinvent yourself or try something new or learn a new skill or completely pivot exactly how you live, how you eat, how you take care of yourself, what you do for income, what you do for joy a million times over, as many times as you want. It's never too late. And I really liked that message. That is a nice message. Lots of opportunities in the world. Yes. If you want to be a chef in a haunted uh, Alaskan retreat, do it. You can do it. <laughs> you can do it. There's, It's there for you. Get haunted and hang with spooky people. Join our pyramid scheme. Get lost in the triangle. Uh, if you have any ghost stories or any any supernatural weird things that have happened to you, please email us at twogirlsandgoespodcast at gmail.com. Join us on Patreon where we have campfire stories. We are vlogging our experiences on the road and places that we're going. If you want to hear how many scary stories I tell Corinne before we go to bed, come join us on Patreon because we're going to post a lot while we're together. We also, if you're in the Only Phantoms tier, you get to be on our close friends on Instagram and there's a lot of fun content we're posting on there because we're going to be together. We're together for so long. I'm so excited. Um, and come see us. If you want to be spooked in person, yeah, come yeah. see us. We have quite a few more shows left by the time that this comes out. We're on tour until the first week of November. So we're going to 32 different cities all across the U.S. plus Toronto, Canada. So come see us on our first big old tour. Big old tour. Thank you, all of you, for listening. And thank you to Christina for editing our show. And thank you to our whole team, Loren and Avery, for just helping us get through and build our community and stay in contact with everyone. And I don't know, be creative. We're like posting on TikTok and stuff. Um, You couldn't see it, but I did like a little foot pop. And we love all of you. And we will see you on the other side very spooky